Hi, this is Doc Russ with the Betterness Podcast, and we are sponsored by Harvest Food Box to get plant-based meals made of whole plant-based ingredients made ridiculously simple. Go to www.harvestfoodbox.com. Today I have with me Chef Steph. Now, Chef Steph uh, is a plant-based chef based out of the Midwest, and she's going to tell us all about her journey, how she got here, and where she's from, where she works. I want to hear all that stuff. I'm going to welcome Chef Steph. Thank you, Rush. Thanks for having me. So first of all, tell us where you're based. I am in right outside of St. Louis, Missouri, um, in the suburbs of Fallon, Missouri. Okay. About 40 miles, 40 miles probably from St. Louis proper. So tell us a little bit about how you uh, went from little girl growing up to Chef Steph. What what, what made that transition happen? Um, well, I you know grew up here in the Midwest. I grew up um, spending a lot of time with my grandmother, who uh, loved to cook. I spent a very large part of my youth cutting biscuits out of Surefine biscuit cans and um, watching her make gravy and and all of these things from scratch and um, when I grew up I wanted to continue to cook and I got a job in college working in a restaurant. No, let me um, stop you for a second here now so mm-hmm. the food that you described and certainly the food that I would associate with St. Louis you know I associate ribs, biscuits, gravy in fact mm-hmm. you know when I, when I think about St. Louis that's the kind of like food that seems to be embedded in the DNA of that city uh, but I'm hearing that you're a plant-based chef, so that's that's another transition. So it was first this love of cooking, and then it was a transition to a plant-based way of living. So that's I definitely want you to touch on that as we move on. Well, and so uh, I, my second job in college, I worked two jobs, was in a health food store, and so ah. I had a lot of um, a lot of influence from that. I was a vegetarian. Um, and, of course, you know, my family thought I had two heads, and I came home and told them that I didn't want ribs for dinner anymore. Oh, yeah, they um, probably thought you joined that cult. What is the, the, the yeah, cult oh, that's going sure. on? That vegan. Yes. Vegan is a cult. Yes. Did, did you know? Weird hippie girl, and, uh, yeah, very much yeah. so. Okay. Um, but that, that same grandmother that I spent many years cooking with, um, you know, making bacon and, and gravy and all this, passed away at the age of 72. No, that's, uh, that's not yeah, no, not at all. Atherosclerosis, um, congestive heart failure. Um, wow. And, you know, she, she was a really thin woman. See, she was very... She never got to see you really be, grow into your own. I mean, you must have been no. fairly young when she died. I was, yes, I was in my 20s, and I was devastated. Wow. I, was, I was absolutely devastated because um, we didn't know it was coming. You know, she looked healthy by all accounts. She was a very small, sort of diminutive woman, very active, very, um, by all accounts, kind of fit. But, but it was food. You couldn't. I mean, it came down to the food. food. She, right. wasn't, she yeah. wasn't overweight. She was active. Right. And then one day she just up and died because she loved biscuits, gravy, and bacon. Yes. And you said yep. it was atherosclerosis. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's no lack of evidence that links the cause of her demise with the food that she would eat. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you you know, the doctor said when he held her CAT scan up, uh, you could see she had had so many strokes. He said it looked like the constellations in the sky, in the night Whoa. sky. 
which is not so what you it, want when somebody looks at your cat scan. <laughs> no, no. So you know, um, it, I graduated from college. I got married. I had kids, and after my last child. Um, I started having a lot of weird things happen. Um, I had asthma attacks that couldn't be controlled with medication, which turned out to be reflux. Um, the reflux was uh, triggering my bronchial nerves, which was causing okay. me to have asthma attacks and um, severe joint pain. Um, I would sleep sitting up in my husband's recliner at night. Wow. Um, my so you're painting a picture of a really sick person here, basically. Yes. So I, I'm getting the, you know, because I've, being in this field, I've met people who are that sick where they, you know, they, they were just this full body attack. They couldn't, they were having trouble breathing. They were painful all over. They couldn't even sleep lying down. I mean, this is serious stuff and that's a lot of suffering that you were enduring and it sounds like the medical community wasn't really helping you out. Oh, no, no, no. In fact, I never drew any line between what I was feeling and what I was eating at that time. I still didn't know that it was well, the thing. doctors and, and didn't, weren't helping. The doctors weren't helping oh. you do that. I mean, were they? Were they saying, oh, maybe no, that's something to do no, with no. no. It just They just gave you more drugs. The doctor told me for my reflex, he said, yep, you have reflex. Prop your bed up six inches and take your Prilosec. If I'm you just need me, like call me. Otherwise, I'll see you in a year. Yeah, it was, it yeah. was very disheartening. Um, so you, you, we kind of expect more from our doctors. You know what? Now I don't, but at the time mm -hmm. I did, and um, I don't. I'd like to think that it's not necessarily through any fault of their own. They're not. They're not trained in this. It's not emphasized. It's not encouraged to think about nutrition as a part of of your wellness. It's just not. And so when that happened, um, and then my doc, other doctor was saying, well, with joint pain, you know, it's probably rheumatoid arthritis, and it could be, could be fibromyalgia, we don't know. I'm going to send you to this, you know, all these different doctors. And, and you bring and, up a really interesting point here is now, now there's a whole medical team mm -hmm. working on your case. Now, here's the part that you probably were aware of, are aware of now, but weren't aware of then. None of these people on this quote-unquote team are talking to one another. No. There's, there's no communication. So when you have a medical team... There's this, there's this sort of implication that maybe they are coordinating, like they're somehow communicating, but the mm -hmm. reality is they are acting in completely independent cells, and that one does not have any idea, nor do they care what the other one is doing. And that's a big part of where medicine breaks down, is where they break the human body down into these specialties, when in fact we operate as one integrated system that is fueled entirely by food. So when you look at it from that perspective, the food makes a big impact, but when you start breaking it down so that you're only looking at one system at a time, uh, that's where the mistakes start to happen. And that's what I'm hearing in your story. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, and I agree with you so much. You know, we do not look at the big picture. We look at all these little individual pictures. And, but when you take them all and you put them together, you're able to see it clearly. And um, so I, that's actually what led me to a nutritionist. Um, I was at my chiropractor's office getting adjusted, and um, I was also very congested all the time, so I had this chronic cough whenever mm -hmm. I would lay back. Oh, yeah, um, been there, done that. They would all run to the back of my throat, and I was, so I apologized. I said, oh, so sorry, I'm having this coughing attack. I had to sit up, and the chiropractor was like, how long has this been going on? And I said, oh, for, I don't even know how long, to be honest with you, it's 
always just been my thing. And he said, have you ever been tested for a dairy allergy? And I said, well, no, I haven't. And he said, you know what, I want you to meet my wife. And he took me over and met, I met his wife. And he, uh, she was a nutritionist. Um, and that's what changed everything for me. That's, wow. that's when I began to realize um, I had an IgG blood test done through her um, that tests for inflammation, your, your body's um, inflammatory responses to food. Turns out um, I was still allergic to dairy. She told me I didn't, she didn't even want me looking at a cow. So, um, in, in, of <laughs> you live in the Midwest. You know how hard that is now. You do. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I love cows. I have pictures of cows on my wall. But, I, just, I uh, laughed because I thought I to myself, here's that. somebody living in the Midwest who can't even look at cows anymore. You're in big trouble. <laughs> big trouble, right? No, I. It it was just it was such an eye opening experience for me. And once I gave up dairy, um, I was also very allergic to eggs. So I got rid of the eggs, got rid of wheat, which was also another big one for me. Um, within 14 days, I had lost uh, up to I think it was nine pounds, is what, what I calculated. And um, it was simply just toxic and water weight. started to feel better, I'm guessing, right? You started oh to feel my better. gosh, the joint pain was gone. Um, I I was able to um, you know sleep again better. It took a while for the reflex to correct itself, but I had leaky gut you know, from four sinus infections from the dairy that the doctor has given me antibiotics for. And each time um, they would up the ante. So by the fourth dose of of antibiotics, I was getting Augmentin, which caused what they think caused the reflux. Of course Um, it did. Because the the medications that they give, Mm -hmm. the medications that they give (laughs) cause more problems than they solve. So then they get more medications to solve those problems. Yes, yes. So once I, you know, once I got rid of the dairy, once the reflex went away, my gut began to heal again. Um, I, by the end of that year, I was down 32 pounds. Um, and that sort of led me into... So you weren't trying to lose weight. You were just eating healthy or what you now understand. eating healthy. healthy, correct. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a couple and, things I want to yeah. point out about your story, just to, just to sort of recap. Um, number one. So you had this love for food that was bequeathed to you by your grandmother who ended up passing away at a very early age uh, because of the food that you were preparing. And it sort of planted a seed that, yeah, yeah, maybe food has something to do with this. And then you yourself became very sick at a time in your life where it's probably the least convenient to get sick. You just have have young kids. You're trying to start a new family. And for any of you who are listening who have ever raised a family, that takes a lot of energy. And you didn't have it. And no. you, you turned to the medical profession, which you trusted, who were trained, and they weren't helping you. As a matter of fact, they were actually making you worse. And thank you yes. so much for acknowledging that it wasn't their fault. They were doing the best they could with what they had, but that your problem uh, went outside of the scope of their training. That's not to say their training wasn't high level enough. It's just to, to say that their training didn't include sort of this integrated look at the human existence and that when you look at it that way it really does come down to the food and as once you stumbled onto that that answer you it was couched as an allergy and this is one of the things I really want to bring up when people are told they have an allergy they're really really good about quote-unquote staying on that diet they don't even look at it as a diet they're like well you know I'm allergic to fish and they don't eat fish 
So one of the things I try to tell people who are diabetic is, you know, you're allergic to sugar. And once they make that connection, they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm allergic to sugar. So the fact that you were, were told this initial information in the form of allergies probably made it a lot easier for you to go, oh, okay, I can do that. But it progressed beyond that, right? You went beyond dairy and eggs. And oh, yeah. what happened next? So that just opened up Pandora's box, I suppose, because then I wanted to read everything I could about food allergies, and it, it led me to Michael Pollan and the Omnivore's Dilemma and oh, yeah. the idea that um, you are what you eat and food is medicine, and then that led me to Food, Inc., and I watched that documentary on, on food production, and um, my husband came in uh, after I was done watching it, and he's like, why are you crying? And I said... I just watched Food, Inc., and he said, oh, man, I was really hoping you wouldn't watch that. Because mm-hmm. he, 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 he knew his life was about to change. He knew that, oh, it's over. About, little did he know, right? So, um, <laughs> and that was in April of uh, 2016. And from that point on, I told him, I said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And, and that was the end of meat and our family. And, um, wow. you know, before that, I was always very conscientious about, uh, you know, farm-raised and organic and all of these things that, you know, those are just really pretty labels that they put on packages and yeah, make is. you feel a little bit better about what you're doing, right? But when you get into the nitty-gritty and you still understand that um, not only do we not need animals to survive and thrive, but um, the whole idea of taking this sentient being and and killing it so that I can have a steak just just didn't settle well with me anymore. I just couldn't sure. do that. I didn't want to be fueled by that. So, so we have two. Um, we have two issues. We have two issues at play here, and I just want to call this out for our listeners. the The first issue was that your point of entry here was all about your health, and by restricting your animal food, you healed yourself. Yes. And from that you said, I want to learn more, I want to learn more, I want to learn more, and you took ownership of your, your own responsibility, your own learning. And then through that journey, the next thing you came up to was this idea of, you know, other beings, like we are eating other beings. Yeah. And, we, you know, I had this argument just yesterday where somebody said, well, I only eat, you know, organically raised grass-fed beef that has been, you know, uh, humanely slaughtered. And I'm like, do, do you understand that when you put the word humane and slaughter in the same sentence, they really shouldn't go together in a sentence? I said, so let me ask you this. How would you like to be humanely slaughtered? Yeah. How would you like that? W- at what point in your life is it okay for someone to come up and kill you for your meat? Where, so how do we define humane when you're when you're ending the existence of another sentient being, and I don't care if you try to use the argument of that's the only reason they were raised, because what if Mm -hmm. we found out tomorrow that the only reason our race existed is so that some aliens could come and harvest us, and that explains every missing person in the United States and everywhere else in the world, that they go missing because they're being harvested. All of a sudden, that changes the perspective on things. Sure. Uh, And I had a girlfriend. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say ahead. I was just gonna recap. The first issue was health, and now we're talking about the the uh, the animal rights issue, which is a, another equally valid issue. And you, it is. You and a girlfriend. My friend had sent me this little quirky, you know, 
it was a scientific study that showed that plants send out vibrations when they feel like they are being threatened or attacked and how, you know, the whole vegan idea that, um, you know, eating another being that's alive is wrong and, and she's like, but your plants are alive too. And, and I said to her, I said, yes, so imagine the terror, you know, if my carrots are feeling it when somebody's coming to pull them, imagine what a cow must feel you know, who's got a brain and thought and, and feeling and, and has attachments to their young and things like that. And right. it really stopped her in her tracks because I think well, it's an interesting, to go it's an interesting argument. It's an interesting argument, and I've tried, people have tried to pull that one on me as well. Uh, there's a couple of issues with that. Number one, that's actually an argument for cannibalism because if we're not eating, if we, if we justify our eating animals because of this idea that plants have feelings, uh, which is debatable. Um, but if we're going to use that as an argument, then why aren't we eating other people? Or how about just the family dog? It doesn't <laughs> it make sense, right? Because well, they do eat the family dog. <laughs> well, yes. So here's an interesting, yeah, and that's an interesting point. Who draws that line? Right. You know, no one in this country would think about eating golden retriever even though from a purely economic standpoint, it makes sense. You buy the puppy, you have the right. puppy for a certain amount of time, and then there's that age where it starts to kind of break down and you find yourself with the vet a whole lot, right? <laughs> but so, people you know, would absolutely freak out about that. Why not? Right. Well, when I was growing up, I grew up on a farm, and I remember the, uh, my father was away, and I was running around the yard with one of the pigs, and it just died of a heart attack, and I buried it. And my father went berserk. He went berserk because <laughs> he was thinking about the bacon. Uh, but that was my friend. I had a funeral. I had, the well, whole, I had the whole route. I wouldn't tell them where it was. I go back and, to Michael Pollan. You know, all this is so far removed from us. You know, they keep these concentrated animal feeding operations out in the middle of nowhere where people don't see it. They don't see how these animals are treated. They don't know how that steak gets from, or that ground beef, oh my goodness, the, the possibly 2,000 or 3,000 cows that make up that one pack of ground beef right. end up from the farm to their table. They have no idea. The process, and the process is what really just intrigued me. Um, yeah, it's a factory. It's a factory, yeah. and the, the commodity is, has, is not considered in any way. The other thing about the plant argument is that we can argue that plants send out signals when they're in distress, but those signals what that does is it signals the plant to send out different chemicals to protect itself. That's just, that's just a basic biological function. It has no central nervous system that we're aware of, and it has no central processing center or brain that it can actually be sentient. In other words, it can contemplate its own existence. And maybe someday we'll learn that that's not true, that it is sentient. It can contemplate its own existence. Um, but as of right now, uh, it seems that many, many plants are actually designed for consumption. All fruits were put on this planet for consumption because that's how seeds get distributed. So, yes, there are certain parts of the plants that maybe are more integral to that plant's survival, but we can actually survive on eating all the plants that don't harm the plant. So if you want to go that way, we could do that as well. Yes. So it's an interesting argument. And it it's is. Not it definitely. It could be its own podcast, I think. Yeah, right? So... Um, <laughs> So your journey started with your grandmother, moved through that, became healthier through food. What I really loved about your story was that you really 
took it upon yourself to educate yourself. And that's super, super important when we work with other people is that they want themselves to be fixed. I remember, you know, my 30 years in, in practice, people would come into my office and they'd be like, fix me. And I'm like, well, it really doesn't right. work like that. As soon as we, and in my profession, uh, in physical therapy, we require, you know, a 90% buy-in to the 10% that we give. And if they, if the patient doesn't have a 90% buy-in, like if they don't do what we ask them to do, it's game over. They, they don't get better. Right. And this is a lot like what we do in this field where we try to help people become healthier. If we don't get their buy-in, if we don't, if they don't go out and explore the knowledge beyond what we tell them, they're kind of stuck. Do you see that as well? I do, and that's how I became Chef Steph, actually, because I could um, tell people, you know, this is what you should do, and you should eat this, and you should eat that, but the buy-in really comes when they sit down to their dinner plate and eat, and if it tastes good, if they're satisfied, if, um, you know, if it's something that they can, you know, I hate to say substitute for their old ways, but really it is about replacing flavor and texture, you know, that's, um, a lot of people will transition with vegan junk foods or vegan processed foods, but I didn't want that. So I, um, I went to culinary school. I, I went to Ruby, which is an online plant-based culinary school. Um, mm-hmm. It was a six-month program. Um, we were given 446 tasks that we were graded on and had to be completed. Uh, it was amazing. I loved it. And it took everything that I sort of already had as a foundation to a new level, um, you know, really building awesome. layers of flavor. And um, we had guests over Saturday night, and, you know, he knew that we, he was coming to have a, a strictly plant-based meal, and I did a three-course meal. He confessed to me that he had made a big plate of bacon before he came to my house. Because <laughs> <laughs> they just can't, they can't wrap their head around it. Yes, and then I confessed to him that all three of our courses were tofu-based. And... Um, I asked him when, when they were getting ready to leave, I said, so are you going to have to make a uh, bacon before you come to dinner again? And he said, never. He that's was, awesome. Uh, he loved it. Absolutely loved, loved, loved it. And so that's really my goal. And that's the buy-in is that I can help people eat in a healthy way, but not sacrifice the flavor and the enjoyment that they get from it. I've done my job. Yeah, I agree. So you bring up two really good, interesting points that I'd like to just circle back and talk about. Number one, vegan junk food. You know, uh, I came to this journey because I lost over 200 pounds and have been able to keep it off for 15 years. And people ask me, you know, are there any fat vegans? And the answer is, oh, yeah. And the way that that happens is that you eat a lot of sugar, which is vegan, (laughs) and a lot of vegan, quote, unquote, junk food. So the journey that we're on, you and I, Stephanie, is really more about a whole foods plant-based diet, which means there's very, very few processes that occur between the plant that's growing out of the ground and the plant that is presented on the plate. So it doesn't go through any machines, no factories, no packaging. We take real, live, honest-to-goodness plants, and we turn them into real, amazing, super healthy cuisine Uh, Exactly, yes. I just want to acknowledge that. Mm. And the other thing I wanted to acknowledge is that you basically set this man on a new path where he at least entertained the idea that plant-based food was delicious and nutritious. 
Yes. So he started this. He started that night with a plate of bacon, convinced that he would not be fed adequately at your house, and left with this new appreciation for how amazing this cuisine could be. And here's the part I want to point out. There was no preaching going on here. The problem with preaching is that it only works with people who agree with you. Yes. If you want to preach to somebody, you better find somebody that already agrees with you, and then they'll shake their head, and you'll, you'll get all kinds of great responses. But if you try to preach to somebody who does not share your beliefs, they're going to shut you down. Yes. But, if you, but you did it very differently. You just simply fed the man. And, yes. you, you know, you, I'm sure you didn't even judge the fact that he had bacon. Um, you know, he, he felt comfortable enough with you that he could admit that. He didn't have to. So that means you were clearly non-judgmental, and you just let him be him. And he said, you know what? I had bacon before I came here, and you know what? I didn't need it. That's, right. that's an amazing transformation, and it all came because you simply allowed him to show up where he was. And that's really super important because I've met so many plant-based people, we'll call them vegans, who shake their fist in anger, mm -hmm. and they're not going to change anybody's mind. You're not going to change any, and, and not only will you not change their mind, you may send them completely running in the opposite direction where uh, yeah, good point. when you have an opportunity to share and to commune, I think that's the other thing I love so much about cooking is that it's very communal and, you know, so we're having these conversations over food and, and laughing and, you know, talking about bacon, <laughs> things like that. And, right. Um, and so it just the whole experience all the way around was just very it was great and um and they usually don't tell people my husband is like you can't tell people don't tell people what's in it because then people already have this preconceived notion so I didn't I waited until after he had eaten everything right you can tell them after um, they eat it you can't tell yeah. them before no no they're absolutely yeah you're so, exactly right yeah um, so he, he was yeah good. so he I'm sorry you were saying no, he, he just left um, telling me I should open my own restaurant and making sure his wife had the recipes when, when they left the house. So that was, well, that was I left that, with a smile. So. Is that something that's on the horizon for you, your own restaurant? Oh, that's the dream. I mean, that would be my ultimate dream, would be to, yeah. to be a chef in my own restaurant. Yes, that. Well, there's, there's also the possibility of you doing a Harvest Food Box franchise in St. Louis. Or definitely. I would love that. I'm telling you, I, and there is such, <laughs> there's such an interest in that here. You have no idea, really. Well, you know, that's something we really need to talk about, but not for the scope of this podcast. The last thing I want to talk to you about is, you know, as I hear the story about, you know, as you talked about your doctors, I heard the compassion that you felt towards them. That you weren't angry, you you know you easily could have been angry at them because you know they cost you a lot of time in your health and that maybe they didn't treat you in the way that was best for you. But you understood, you were compassionate in that you know they just did not have that in their in their paradigm. They didn't have that in the worldview. They didn't have that in their training. And then as we talked about the gentleman who came to your house and had a whole plate of bacon, you know I, I had this real sense of compassion there that I get it. You have this history that you've lived, you've had this experience, and I'm going to introduce you to a new experience, and then you can take it or leave it. And that's compassion. Also on well, this journey, go ahead. 
No, I love that you brought that up because when I sat down with my primary care doctor a year after I went plant-based, um, I go in every year and have for years to get my blood work done. I'd like to know where I'm at with everything. If there is something coming down the pipe, I want to head it off. Um, and my blood work, he said, what in the world did you do? Like, what? you have the blood work of an 18-year-old, and I was 43 years old. And um, he said, you know, so we sat down for the 15 minutes that I was there, you know, allowed to be there with him um, and said, hey, you know, I went plant-based and I, um, I did this and that and now I'm, I'm going to culinary school and doing all these things. And he said, I would love to be able to, to share this with my patients, but, but frankly, I don't have time. And, and some of them would prefer to just take a pill, you know, um, but I would love to be able to refer you to some of my patients who maybe wow. are interested in learning how to do something like this. Wow. So and that, that really opened up a whole other door for me. But it opened up that door because you chose to be compassionate and not be angry that this doctor wasn't treating you the way. Oh, yeah. He just didn't know. He just yeah. genuinely didn't know. So talk to me a little bit about the importance of compassion, uh, because really that's that's what we're talking about here. This in, in our business in Harvest Food Box, uh, or one of our one of our uh, mantras is that we deliver compassion, compassion for self, compassion for other sentient beings, and compassion for the planet. And I think in this conversation we've covered a lot of that compassion uh, clearly by by doing all this difficult work and learning about all this plant-based nutrition, and I'm sure you also, like many of us, have gone on a spiritual journey as well. Yes. You've exercised self-compassion. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I don't think it, it would be sort of hypocritical of me to be very compassionate towards these beings, these, these animals, these cows and chickens, and not be compassionate against my fellow humans who, a, who do still consume them. You know, it's not yeah. my place to judge them. It's, Sure. My place to do what I can for myself and my family and for people to be open to people asking me questions and um, and to be compassionate even when they're being judgmental toward me and to say, you know what, you just don't know and maybe one day you will. But And I don't even say that to them. I think that in my head, but I just, sure. you know, I, I'm a more of a live and let live kind of girl. So Yeah. Um, and this whole idea, I, you know, the interesting thing to me is that when you're, practicing compassion, uh, it's really important to include yourself in that equation because it, it's also hypocritical to be compassionate towards human beings or want to be compassionate towards human beings and then use some really self-defeating self-talk like, oh, I suck, uh. I didn't do this right. When in fact, you know, being compassionate with yourself is kind of the cornerstone of where this all starts. Would you say that's true? Well, that's, you know, why diets don't work. Why people who go on diets and restrictive calories, and, and I can only eat this, and I can't eat that, and I, you know, it, that's really what not only changed me, it kept the weight from coming back, because I just, there are just certain things I refuse to put in my body, I won't do it, but diets mm. set you up to fail, they set you up with these restrictions, you can't have this, you can't have that, and then all you do is think about having that, and when you break down and you finally have it, you think, oh, I'm weak, I'm pathetic, I'm never going to lose weight, I'm never going to get healthy, they, they set you up to have a lot of negative self-talk, yeah. and, and when I work with my clients, and the first thing that I say to my clients 
you love yourself. Love yourself. Hug yourself. Take care of yourself. And when you think about what you're eating, you ask yourself, is this feeding my health or is it feeding my sickness? Get rid of all the other adjectives. Fat. That's perfect. So it's it's breaking it down to two choices. Weak. Yes. Yeah, and that's really important for people. If you can bring it up to two choices, every single thing you put in your mouth, am I feeding my health or am I feeding my sickness? I think that's important. Mm-hmm. It's um, very simple, really. Yeah. Yeah, and another one that I use with my clients is that all of human decisions come down to two things. Am I doing this out of love or am I doing this out of fear? Oh, and I like that. It's, it's the same sort of thing. It's just a, if you can break it down to a binary code, it, it's either this or it's that. And then just really lock people in. It helps them to sort of make better decisions. It's like, well, I really want to act out of a place of love, unless, of course, there is actually a Bengal tiger in the room. Then I'll act out of a place of fear. <laughs> then, um, then my fear can come into play. Right, yeah. then, that, then that's okay. But it turns out that we act from fear a lot more than we need to. And in this case, what you, in couching it the way you said it, we act from a place of you know, feeding illness a lot more than we need to. When, in fact, we have opportunities to feed our health all the time. And, All the uh, time, yes, mentally and physically. And mentally and physically. So on that note, uh, we're actually out of time. Uh, I think that you and I could probably go on and on and on, and <laughs> we should at some time. But I wanted to thank Chef Steph from St. Louis for coming on the podcast, and I really look forward to all of our listeners connecting with Stephanie on Facebook and uh, you know, just getting to know her a little bit and, you know, just drinking in her wonderfulness. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so much. Russ, thank you so much for having me.